Good morning. My name is Gardner Fish, and I am blessed to serve as the pastoral assistant here at Connect Church. It's my honor and privilege to share with you a message from God's Word this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I would ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right in the pew in front of you. We come in our text to the end of Jesus' most famous sermon. Does anybody know what it's called? Sermon on the Mount. That's right. He has been describing life in the kingdom of God. And for those who are trusting Christ as Savior, this life is our future. This is, this is how it will always be. And when we live by faith in the ways He has been describing, we're bringing a glimpse of the kingdom here right now. Jesus has essentially been saying to His disciples, this is who you are, so be who you are. We pick up in the sermon uh, where, like all good preachers, He brings us to a point of application and a decision. Let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word, Matthew chapter 7. Starting in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits." Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits." Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Look down to verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching. For He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. Would You help us to understand it? And Father, above all, would You help us to be astonished by your teaching, and by the authority of Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're in a series called The Unsaved Christian. And for those who ask, there's really no such thing as an unsaved Christian. But anyway, uh, last week, Pastor Ryan shared about the different responses to the gospel through the parable of the sower. It really probably better be called the parable of the soil. And today we're building on this truth by considering salvation and the ways that we can be deceived by false gospels. Our foundational truth this morning 
is that the only way that anyone can be saved is by faith in Christ. Now maybe this is not the most original idea, but this is going to be key as we consider the great deceptions. Well, three great deceptions, really. Which are three areas where the unsuspecting person can lose sight of the biblical gospel and fall into either cultural Christianity or legalism. Both forms of unsaved Christianity because it's not Christianity at all. And there's nothing more dangerous than getting the gospel wrong. Nothing more dangerous. Look back with me at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. In this first picture, Jesus gives us two gates. And behind each gate is a unique path with a unique crowd and a unique destination. Jesus is calling His disciples and by virtue us to enter into the narrow gate because it's the only one that leads to life. The message here is that there is a deceptive way that entices us not to enter the narrow gate. And this is our first deception. Deceptive ways. Deceptive ways. This wide gate takes many forms. But in reality, there's really only two. Right? There's two ways. There's Christ and His kingdom. And there's every other religion. Now some paths may seem closer to the narrow gate than others. But there are only two destinations, so there's only two roads. Now let's look at some of the different forms of this this wide gate. Here's one I hear a lot. All roads get to heaven. You may be a different religion or have no religion, but as long as you're genuine, you're going to be alright. Or some have put it this way. We're all on our way up the mountain to God and we just have different paths. What's true for you is true for you. Is that true? Absolutely not. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, you know it well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He did not say that He was a way, or a truth, or a life. He said He's the way. (laughs) But Gardner, how could you be so narrow to say that all other religions are wrong? Isn't it offensive to say that they're wrong? How do you think you have a monopoly on truth? Well, Look at the fourth word in verse 13. Can somebody read it for me? Depend may depend on your translation. Fourth word. Narrow. Yeah, it says narrow. Jesus is very clear, clear that the gate is narrow and few find it. He doesn't say the way is wide and that that most find it. So, no, all religions are not right. And when we say that all religions are right, we're actually saying that no religion is right, which is, that's kind of offensive, right? It's offensive to a Muslim, a Jew, a Hindu, and every other religion to say that they're wrong. So nobody's right. To me, it's offensive that you say that Jesus is the same as Muhammad or, or Buddha or whatever you want to say. No, Church, that any claim to truth is inherently narrow. That's, that's kind of the point. We don't have to beat people over the heads with the truth, but don't be afraid to claim truth when God has clearly revealed truth to us. There's only two roads. 
Here's another saying from the wide gate. Ask somebody if they're going to go to heaven, and what do most people say? Yeah, I'm a good person. Really? Who told you that? It certainly wasn't the Bible. Now, let's just take Christ's standard from this sermon that he's been teaching, that everybody loves the Sermon on the Mount, right? Verse 21 in chapter 5, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Ouch. I just moved my sister into college this weekend. I think I was angry with her some, but... (laughs) But it's good. It's good. She's in the room, so we're good. Anyway, uh, verse 27, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so how are you doing now? And if we're honest, it leaves us all as murderers and adulterers. What a way to start our morning. But this is according to the Lord Jesus. We can actually go further. Look at verse 12 of of chapter 7. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, this is really a beautiful picture of the law and what it looks like by faith to love people. But if you're not in Christ, how are you doing? Do you love others how you want to be treated all the time? Not perfectly. My point is this, compared to Christ, we're all hopeless. We're wretched. We're sinners. And on our own power, we'll all end up through the wide gate destined for destruction. Sure, you may be better than a mass murderer. I'm positive you can find somebody and compare yourself to somebody and say, I know I'm better than that person. But are you Christ? And that's really the question we have to answer. Are we Christ? Because that puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Let's all consider broad pass in the church. If I pray a genuine sinner's prayer, then I know I'm through the narrow gate. It doesn't matter if I stay on the hard path. I got through the gate. The rest is for devoted, crazy Christians. That's not what Jesus is teaching, is it? We must endure to the end by the grace of God. And if we fall off, off the hard road, we were never through the gate. We may have had an emotional experience. We may even go to church. But that doesn't put us through the narrow gate. Does going to church save us? No. If going to church makes you a Christian, then you better stay out of your garage. Because I'm pretty certain you're going to turn into a car. But we have hope. Because Christ is inviting each and every one of us to enter into that narrow gate. Even now. What is the narrow gate? Repentance and faith in Christ's finished work. Titus 3 reads it this way. This is beautiful. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. 
This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. The narrow gate is only entered through if one is perfect. Really, it's so narrow that only one person has ever passed through on his own power, and that's Christ. But because of His sacrifice for us, we can be brought through the narrow gate if we trust in Jesus. And that sounds easy, but it's not. We've got to recognize ourselves as sinners, and we don't like that. And we've got to trust in Christ. And we don't really like that. And this sounds simple, but our sin is so great, and it takes a work of God for us to believe upon the Lord Jesus. But with God, this is possible. That's really what that passage is talking about. With God, all things are possible. That's right after the disciples said, who can be saved? He said, well, God can save you. The path we're called to walk is not easy. The, the word translated hard here really means compressed. It it's really means persecuted. The road is full of persecution, and that's, that's the Christian life. It's, it's not easy. There's pain. There's suffering. We realize that many have been and are being put to death for their faith. But this is what Jesus called us to. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. What should we expect? Now while we could never walk this path on our own, we know that our salvation is not of ourself. And we can be confident that God will see through the work that He started in us. If He brings us through the gate, He's going to keep us on the path. Even though it might be few. We see everybody we know is on this other path. But we have our destination in sight. It's Christ. Our confidence is in Christ. Let's look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. It's a good thing Pastor Ryan wasn't preaching today, because we'd never get off the false prophets. <laughs> but anyway, Jesus said that there is only one way to God. While entering is hard enough, there are those on the, that path that want to take us off. They want to keep us from entering the gate. There actually are teachers who are saying, no, that, that gate's not, 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 not small, it's, it's wide. And that path is it, it, it's really quite easy. The truth is not everyone who claims to teach in the name of Christ is reliable. The false teachers or prophets, they're not always easy to spot. Just because they read a verse or they say they're teaching the Bible doesn't mean that they are. They look, look innocent, they say good things, but their teaching will devour your soul. Uh, that, that's strong language, but it's true. They're, they're ravenous wolves. So Jesus tells us to watch out for the deceptive teachers. And this is the second deception, deceptive teachers. 
Jesus didn't warn us because there might be false teachers. He knew that there would be and would continue to be until He returns. So we must look out. Beware. Did you know that Christianity is the religion with the most heresies? Do you know why? Because it's the only one that's true. And since it's true, the enemy sows seeds of deception and false doctrine wherever he can. How do we know a false prophet from a true prophet? Jesus tells us that we inspect the fruit. First and foremost, what are they teaching? While from a distance it might be difficult to tell if a fruit, if is that a grape or is it a thorn or what is that? Once we get close and inspect it, we can tell. And that's kind of how false teaching is. And just because someone stands behind a pulpit and, and quotes a verse of Scripture does not mean that they're preaching the true gospel. Even though you might at first think that they are, even for a while, you must compare their words with God's unchanging Word. This is what's infallible. This is what's written by God through men. A true prophet is one who is speaking the Word of God. In our context, this is, this is a preacher or teacher who is faithfully teaching the Scriptures. That's a prophet. Here's some ways you may know. What's the emphasis of the teacher's sermon? Is their message coming from the Scriptures or are they just quoting a Scripture in passing so that they can say whatever they want that has nothing to do with it? Are they teaching doctrines of men's or God's? And for the record, somebody getting up and saying, God told me so is not authority to preach. <laughs> Just as Pastor Ryan said last week, you must check every teacher with the Word of God. That's why we ask you to take your Bibles out. Look for yourself. If you ever hear anything that doesn't align with God's Word, you know what you do with that? You don't listen. <laughs> if it's false, you don't trust that message. Now, what's the emphasis of the teacher's message? Are they pointing you to yourself or are they pointing you to Christ? Are they telling you how you can have a better life if you do certain things, certain works? Or are they pointing you to the finished work of Christ? Do they say, look to Jesus alone as your only hope in life and death? Church, a Christless gospel will not save. But he's so encouraging. He, he makes me feel good. And encouragement is fine, but not at the sake of neglecting the gospel. What is more encouraging than peace with God? Knowing that He sent His Son to die for you. And that He's going to bring it through to completion. And He knows exactly what's going to happen. And He didn't promise that it's going to be easy, but He's with you. What's more encouraging than that? I've often found it's, it's not really what the false teachers say all the time. Sometimes it's what they don't say. If they, if they never teach about sin, they, they never teach about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and they just tag it on something at the end, that's not the gospel. Some people will preach a whole message on tithing, and then they'll ask for a response, and they never preach the gospel. What are they accepting into their heart? I don't know. It really doesn't matter if the rest is good. Some of you may be thinking, we, we shouldn't be talking about teachers and preachers. You know the scripture, don't touch my anointed ones or harm my prophets. <sighs> okay, well how do you know they're God's prophets? 
Titus 1, 10 through 11 is clear that the role of an overseer is to call out false prophets. For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They're ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. Sounds like it was written yesterday. So what this means is that if Pastor Ryan doesn't call out these people, he's actually not doing his job. That, like, it's this serious. It's his job to do that. And of course, no one's going to come out and say that they're a false teacher. Who's going to join First Heretical Church of New Orleans? No, I, I, I mean, some people might. I don't know, but probably not. And one of the early church fathers, Ignatius of Antioch, he warned the church about these false teachers and how they mix their message with truth. Ignatius was a disciple of John the Apostle, and he was put to death for his faith. He was actually martyred in the Colosseum, eaten by lions. I urge you, therefore, not I, but Christ, or Jesus Christ's love, use only Christian food. Keep all foreign fare, by which I mean heresy, for those who people mingle Jesus Christ with their teachings just to gain your confidence under false pretense. It is as if they were giving a deadly poison mixed with honey and wine, with the result that the unsuspecting victim gladly accepts it and drinks down with fatal pleasure. False teachers don't tell you they're false teachers. They take some good teaching and then they slowly mix in a little deadly poison which will kill your soul. I mean, that's if you were going to poison somebody and give them a whole lot of poison and just a little bit of something good. No, it's going to be it's going to be this whole platter of all this good and then just a little little mixed in. So we must look out. Jesus warned the false about the false prophets in Matthew 24, 24. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Of course, of these false prophets, some are easier to recognize than others. Especially when it's all about blessing and, and, and no mention of a difficult Christian life. Remember, the way is hard that leads to life. Now, some false teachers will come out and tell you, give me money and you'll get financial blessings. Sow your seed. And, and that they teach that camels somehow fit through the eye of a needle. I hadn't figured that out. But that's not really as big today as it has been in the past. Now they preach what's really a new prosperity gospel. And this is the teaching that once you come to Christ, you'll have a perfect life. God will bless you with a perfect life, a perfect wife and everything nice. That sounds pretty good. And, and money too, of course. Money too. You won't have any problems, sickness, or struggle because God wants to bless you if you'll just do these things. And that's really not true. I mean, yes, it's true that God wants to bless us, but the road is hard. Well, ask Ignatius of Antioch. He was eaten by lions. What did he do wrong? But no blessing even begins to compare with the riches we have in Christ Jesus. All the false teachers really do are teaching law with really not that good of a reward. We're preaching grace with riches beyond you could even imagine. 
What is a greater message than this? Temporary things or life eternal? But this blessed life theology is everywhere. It's in churches. It's especially on the TV. My pastor growing up would sometimes say, one of the most spiritual things you can do is turn off the TV. <laughs> and now, now don't get me wrong, not every TV preacher is a false prophet. That's, that's not true at all. But there's a lot of them on there. <laughs> and I mean a lot. So watch out. So another fruit that you must inspect is the life of the teacher. Now we have to be careful. We can't go overboard. So we got to use caution. But does the teacher's life match up to the message that they're preaching? Or are they a hypocrite? Have they believed the message they preach? Or is it just all for show? Honestly, honestly a selfish and hateful preacher. That should not exist in our vocabulary. We shouldn't even know of anything like that, but this is the time that we live in. I myself am certainly not perfect. I admit this. None of us are yet, but teachers should exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. They should be ones who have been changed by the Gospel message, even though not perfectly. Do teachers love God? Do they love others? Do they love their wife and children? Or is it all taught from the pulpit? Do they ignore the message that they preach? What about their congregation? Are people trusting the Gospel? Are people believing in Christ alone and being conformed to His image? Or is it all just an act? Is it just a, is this a country club on Sunday? Now if you're sitting here this morning and thinking, well maybe I'm one of those hypocrites, let me encourage you. Don't try harder to manufacture some fake holiness. Look to Christ. If the message you say that you trust isn't changing your life, then look to Christ. Because we can try to nail fruit to a dead tree all we want, but it's going to rot and it's going to die. No, if the fruit is bad, it's an indication that there's something wrong with the tree. So we have to go to the root, who is Christ. We have to trust in Christ. Your assurance is never going to come from yourself. Only Jesus can provide this for you. I often hear, how could I be a Christian if I did this thing or that? And I respond, well, what is, is causing your conviction? I mean, unsafe people don't think like this. They think they have it all together. Look to Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. There is evidence in our life. And Christ does produce fruit in our life. But that's not the sole grounds for our assurance. It is Christ. Well, let's look at one more great deception and one that I think may hit home for some of us. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name. Do many mighty miracles in your name. Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. The sober reality in this text is that there are such things as false converts. There are people who have professed Jesus on their lips, but have never believed the Gospel. And they've never entrusted themselves to Christ. These amount to meaningless words or an emotional experience that isn't going to save. 
The truth is that we can trick ourselves into thinking that we're trusting Christ when we're actually trusting in ourselves. Look at the words of the man here in verse 22. He thought he was okay. He thought he had faith. Faith, why? Because look, Jesus, I, I prophesied in your name. I casted out demons in your name. Look at all these great works that I did in your name. Who and to what was he pointing to? His self. He's the object of his works. Or he's the object and he's saying that his works are the evidence. Church, if, if we're trusting in what we can do and what we have done, it will never be enough. Because at the final judgment, he didn't look to Christ and point to Christ's work, but only to his own. So Jesus responds to the, with the law. He had not done enough. Jesus said, only the one who does the will of his Father will enter heaven. And what is the will of his Father? Perfection. If you want to be made right with God by the law, you've got to be perfect. If you're not, what will Christ say? Lawless. But Jesus had perfectly done the Father's will. And if this man, and which is really many, would have truly trusted in Christ, he would have been seen as perfect in the sight of God because Christ is perfect. And this is the good news of Christ. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, each and every one of us. We have sinful natures and, and on our own we stand in opposition to God. But the Bible says the wages for sin is death. This means that we must pay for our sin with death. And the good news is that God sent His Son Jesus to take on human flesh. He lived a perfect life on our behalf and He died for sinners. But His work on the cross, or by His work on the cross, He took on our sin. And He bore our guilt. And on the cross, Jesus made a perfect sacrifice so that everyone who believes in Him would have forgiveness with God. We know that He accomplished this because He rose on the third day, proving that our sins had been atoned for and that we too would be risen on the last day. If, we, if you believe this Gospel, you will be saved. There's no doubt about it. God has spoken. The man, which again is many in this passage, did not. He gave lip service to Jesus. Because if he would have believed, then he would have been justified by God. And by the power of the Spirit, God would have done many true works through him for the kingdom of God. But he looked to himself. And I wonder if this is anyone here this morning. I wonder if any of us, if we got to the final judgment, we would say to Christ, Lord, Lord, didn't I pray a sinner's prayer in Your name? Didn't I go to church in Your name? Didn't I read my Bible in Your name? How do you think Jesus might respond? Depart. That's not enough. You have to be perfect. Lawlessness. But remember the big idea for this sermon. The only way that anyone can be saved is by faith in Christ. It's not about giving our best or doing our works. It's about trusting in the finished work of Christ. Yes, Christians will produce fruit. Absolutely. When the Spirit enters our lives, He begins to work through us. 
But our only hope in life and death is Christ. And if you ever begin to trust your works and not Christ's work, you're building your house on sand. Very, very quick sinking sand. One of the scary realities of this text is that it's possible for great things to be done through you and not know Christ. Because Jesus didn't say that these things didn't happen. It was true. He he did great things, but it wasn't enough. What are you trusting in? On the other hand, we must also recognize that every sign does not mean God's blessing. Just because a guy on stage is knocking people down and making people bark like dogs does not mean that he's preaching God's Word or even being used by God. Who are you listening to? I saw something in this text this week that I haven't really noticed before. Look with me at verse 23. Jesus doesn't say, depart from me, you never do me. What does He say? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. It's interesting, right? The reality of salvation is that God has to make the first move. And apart from the drawing of the Spirit, we will never seek after God. But when Jesus comes to us and brings us into a saving relationship with Him, we can be sure of our salvation. Because when He knows us, we know Him. And when we believe in His name, we can have full assurance of salvation. The beauty is that we don't have to worry if Jesus is going to keep us. Because He brought us. He's going to keep us. He's not telling us to doubt our salvation. He's going to be with us all the way through that long road. No, if Jesus brings you through the gate, He's going to keep you through the road. He's going to take you to the destination. And you didn't save yourself, and that's good news. It may hurt our pride a little bit, but it's good news. As we come to a close, I think it's appropriate to end with Jesus' final illustration. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and they pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Where is your foundation? In what or in whom are you trusting? Do you believe in a false way? Are you you listening to false teachers? Or have, have you deceived yourself into thinking that you're something that you really aren't? Have you built your life on the sand of these deceptions? Or are you on the rock who is Christ and His Word? The reality this morning is that every one of us have the opportunity to enter through the narrow gate. But it must be entered into. Nobody just drifts into a relationship with Christ. It must be entered into. 
Yes, the road is hard. And the crowd is few. But the destination so far surpasses this momentary light affliction, this light suffering that we might have. So that's where we're at. Would you enter through the gate this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that though the world tries to deceive us, though Satan has plans for us, that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Father, we thank you that we don't have to trust in ourselves. We don't have to look into what we've done or we can look to you. Father, I pray that anyone here this morning who realizes that they're not on solid ground would look to you, Jesus. Would look to Christ and believe the gospel. Father, now as we come to your table, remind us of the work that you did in sending your son, Jesus, so that we would be one with one another and ultimately would be seen perfect in your sight. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.